in the eternal plans and purposes of God. In the body of the letter, Smyrna is told that they will suffer for a period of 10 days. Now, it may just be that that's a symbolic number, or it may be that there was a festival for the emperor which was going to cause trouble. We don't know why that 10-day period. But in Jesus' introduction, we are encouraged that he has gone before and will be beyond. Jesus is the first and the last. It's, you know, and that's not just simple theological uh, sentimentality to acknowledge that God you know, has, uh, is eternal and that he has our times and situations in his hands. It's a source of hope that in Christ there is ultimate victory for justice and justice for Jesus and victory for Jesus. Our trials and sufferings are temporal, but God is eternal and holds us in his hands. And Jesus also identifies himself as the one who was dead and is alive again. Jesus is not just eternal. Jesus lets them and us know that he has gone before. He has walked the road of suffering, of slander, of poverty, of imprisonment and torture, and yes, even death. Encouragement from that is encapsulated best in the words of the spiritual from African-American slaves. Nobody knows the trouble I seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. And not from some detached watching from a distance, but to have bodily known our pain and suffering in the incarnation. The eternal God has walked this path with us. More than that, there's hope and encouragement of the resurrection. Jesus has died, but has come to life again. He has overcome the world, and he is alive. The hope and comfort for God's people is that the crown of thorns becomes the victor's crown. The promise for those who overcome is that they will receive eternal life, that Jesus has won for us. They may face death. We may face death. But they will not taste the second death. They will be raised with Christ to eternal life. Christ was dead but is alive again. And the letter outlines the present and past suffering of the church. Smyrna was rich, a prosperous city, yet the Christians were facing poverty and <coughs> excuse me, exclusion. Maybe the church was, was made up of many from amongst the slaves and disadvantaged. The, we have historical, uh, historical record from uh, a, a Roman governor from later on who just said, you know, Christianity is a, is a religion for slaves and women, putting it down. And it may be that the people who had come to Christ were amongst those who were excluded in their society. Challenge for us today. But also, possibly in a pagan society, they were disadvantaged because they chose not to be part of businesses and guilds that required sacrifice to the emperor or which met and feasted in pagan temples. You know, instead of meeting with your workmates down at the pub, you'd meet with them at the temple. We know that this was a challenge because Paul has to write to the people in Corinth who were wrestling with this very issue. And despite their physical poverty, and paradoxically, Jesus reminds them that they are in actual fact rich. They have this wonderful resource and inheritance in Christ, the kingdom of God. You know, it brings to mind Jesus' parable of the pearl of great price, and the buried treasure in the field. The suffering also seems to be the result of a reaction of some of the Jews in Smyrna. One of the things about Roman society was that they valued civilizations that were more ancient than their own. 
This meant that for the Jews, they were exempt from making sacrifices to the emperor as a sign of their loyalty because their faith, their culture was older than the Romans. And the early church was seen as a sect of Judaism and was originally afforded the same protection. But uh, as Christianity continued to grow, the Jews wanted to differentiate themselves from Christians. Jesus predicted it in the verses that we had read in John 16 this morning, that there would come a time when the Christians would be put out of the synagogue and people would be considered that they were doing God's work in killing them. And you see, this is starting to come true in Smyrna. And without that protection of uh, being part of the synagogue, they would be expected to sacrifice to the emperor as God. And if they didn't, they would face punishment. They would be asked to say, Caesar is Lord, in a way that reflected Caesar as God. Whereas, you know, as Christians, we proclaim, Jesus is Lord. It's quite a political statement. We do need to unpack some of the strong language used about the Jews in this letter. Jews who were not really Jews reflects the fact that the early Christians saw that in Jesus they had found the Messiah and that they were in fact the true continuation of the Jewish faith. And also in Roman law, for someone to be punished, imprisoned and brought before the justice system, there needed to be accusers, someone who would bring an accusation against them. In Jesus' trial, in the Gospels, it tells us people were found who were willing to bring false accusations against Jesus. And uh, Paul, in the book of Acts, seems to have had to deal with the same issues as there are people who bring accusations to the Roman uh, authorities. The Jews in Smyrna were willing to accuse the Christians. Now, the word Satan means accuser. And in this letter, John is highlighting that they, in their slander, are acting in that role as accusers. But it also points out that behind this is a darker evil force. It is the devil who is trying to test the faith of the Christians in Smyrna. But we need to note that it's specific to this context. Sadly, this terminology has been picked up and used as anti-Semitic propaganda. It's not anti-Jew. Paul's great letter to the Romans shows us the longing of Jews like Paul and God at work so that the Jewish people would turn to Jesus, their Messiah. There's that longing in Scripture. It's not anti-Semitic. And in the face of increasing suffering and persecution, even to the point of death, the church is encouraged to be faithful and not fearful. You know, we as humans naturally react to life-threatening situations in one of three ways. It's the freeze, flight, or fight reflexes. You know, it's, it's that we are creatures. We have those reflexes within us. And when we are faced with opposition to our faith, be it from unkind words and unfair critiques by friends or workmates through to the kind of situations mentioned in this letter, it can cause us to do one of those three things. It can call us to freeze, to simply stop talking or living out our faith. It can cause us to take flight, to run away, to uh, retreat, to retreat so that our faith simply becomes private or confined to Sunday mornings in the walls of a building like this. Or less, we are slowly assimilated 
into the world around us. And we walk away. Or it's to fight, you know, and aggressive, to aggressively argue. Uh, I have to watch it because I, I can get quite feisty at times. Maybe even to respond in unchrist-like ways. I really question whether I'd mention this to you today, but I received a, a letter uh, uh, over the internet from someone, and it was a letter that basically said, if you are a pastor and you've encouraged people to get vaccinated, get vaccinated, or, um, you know, uh, coerced them, that was the other word that was used, then you are guilty of being involved in genocide and crimes against humanity. You know, that really hurt. Uh, a, a, a minister friend of mine down in, uh, at, at that time, you know, I, I believe it was a Holy Spirit moment. I also read um, a, uh, just something that a, a minister friend of mine in Auckland had put out to his congregation where he reminded people, because they were going through the same sort of stuff, that um, it's not what goes in your mouth, says Jesus, that, uh, that defiles you. It's actually what comes out. It's easy to, to have that fight mentality that takes us away from being faithful to our Christian faith. Last year, we worked through Jesus' teaching, uh, but you know, it, it means more. It means more than that as well. Um, you know, uh, we... <coughs> okay, I've gone off. <laughs> the church at Smyrna and we are called not to be fearful when we face trouble, but to be faithful. Roland talked last week about the fact that returning to their first love for the church in Ephesus meant not just a feeling, but also action. It wasn't just that feeling you feel when you feel the feeling you've never felt before, but it's actually love and action. So for the church in Smyrna and for us, being faithful means action. We don't know what it was specifically for them in that 10-day period. We can speculate that it meant refusing to sacrifice to the empire, no matter the cost. But that call to be faithful in the face of opposition and persecution and slander calls us to a wider action. Last year, we worked our way through Jesus' teaching in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25, where he talks of the things that were to come revolving around the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. And like with Revelation, we can get caught up in the occasions and the vivid descriptions of events to come, but the punchline and the crux of Jesus' teaching is the four parables he finishes this long discourse with that speak of living ready for Christ's return, of being faithful amidst the trials and difficulties in the world. The parable of the unloving servant, which paradoxically reminds us that we need to show practical love to one another. The parable of the ten virgins reminds us to keep our lamps full of oil, keep our good spiritual disciplines and our relationship with Christ alive and vital. The parable of the talents calls us to keep risking investing our gifts and talents and resources into the kingdom of God. And the parable of the sheep and goats, which calls us to continue to care for the least amongst us. Maybe not really persecution, but with COVID very much in our minds, it's good to have an example of that faithfulness worked out from another recent pandemic. The 2014 Ebola outbreak in West Africa which I don't know, you, you might not remember it, but boy, did it have people really concerned and fearful, and it was also the cause of great suffering. And there was a lot of criticism of Western missionaries and medical personnel who stayed on in West Africa and that they might end up taking 
bringing Ebola back with them. Well, Stephen Roden volunteered for Doctors Without Borders in Monrovia, Liberia. And his role was to manage the teams who collected the bodies of Ebola victims. They dealt with between 10 and 25 bodies a day and risked becoming victims themselves. In a radio interview with typical English understatement, he spoke of the sad case of going into a house to collect the body of a four-year-old child from its parents. Asked if he was a religious man, he replied, yes, he was a committed Christian. And the interviewer then asked if this was testing his faith, to which he replied, no, I get great strength from my faith and the support of my family. His faith allowed him to be faithful, not fearful. All the letters in Revelation finish with a promise for those who overcome and persevere, who hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The letter uh, to Smyrna expresses Christ's hope in the face of suffering in a series of paradoxes. They are poor, but in Christ they are rich. They face death, but in Christ they will find life. Satan is accusing them and causing suffering and death, but the sovereign God is able to use that to test and refine their faith. About 20% of the logos for the city of Smyrna that archaeologists have found show the laurels of the Roman victory crown, a sign that the city is being rewarded for its faithfulness to Rome. And of course, the city itself had this crowning glory uh, of its architecture, But, says Jesus, to those who remain faithful to King Jesus, they will receive a greater crown. They will receive eternal life in Christ. The call to us as a church facing suffering and trials is to be faithful, not fearful. To listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. And we too will not taste the second death. We may face suffering and trials, persecution, even to the point of death but we will know eternal life in Christ, the first and the last, the one who was dead but is alive again. Amen? Amen. Great. Thanks, Phil.